Hello and welcome to the Monash Perioperative Medicine podcast series. My name is Jamie Smart and today it's my pleasure to be joined by Dr. Stuart Marshall. Stuart is an anaesthetist, simulation educator and researcher with a strong interest in patient safety and human factors. He's a valued contributor to our Masters of Medicine program, having written two modules for our new capstone unit. And he also coordinates our EMAC course and has recently launched our Human Factors short course, which is proving to be very popular. He's a busy man. Welcome, Stuart, and thank you for your time. Thanks very much, Jamie. Good to talk with you. Look, today we're going to talk about how to apply human factors principles to perioperative medicine. I've got this feeling, Stuart, that if you were to ask most anaesthetists or perioperative physicians about the importance of human factors in their field, they would invariably start talking about such things as crisis management, the use of cognitive aids, system error, and probably at some point bring up the Swiss cheese model. Do you think that's there's some truth in that, or am I being a bit harsh? Uh, I don't think it's uh, it's harsh. I think it's uh, pretty common that human factors gets confused with a whole heap of things like team skills or soft skills or non-technical skills, whatever you want to call it. Um, or even it's confused with errors, crises, or just the, the general screw-ups that we do as part of our, our, general, uh, our general work, both you know, at home and at work, really. Um, so um, it, it's often... I suppose it means the same thing, but the alternative term ergonomics is is equally troublesome because then people just think of comfy chairs. Um, so uh, human factors is just much more than than teamwork crises and, and comfy chairs. Uh, it, it's about getting the the built environment and the processes to fit more closely with uh, the capabilities of the humans using the system, oh. essentially to to improve the safety and efficiency of what we do. Okay, fantastic. So look, that's really the area that I want to focus on today. So move away from those other areas we've mentioned and look at the important area of the role of human factors engineering in the development of effective and efficient perioperative care services. So if we were looking at designing such a service or reorganising an existing perioperative care model, let's start at the beginning and discuss what our aims should be. Yeah, so I suppose in keeping with any uh, human factors-based redesign or any system that we look at designing, before we get too far, we need to understand what the intended function of the system is uh, and who's going to use it. Um, So in some ways, it's kind of the same way as understanding how to design uh, an item, uh, a device that we use, like, say, a defibrillator. We need to know what it it needs to do, what the characteristics of the work are, um, and uh, and who's going to be actually using it, and so what our aims are out of that. Of course, you know, system design is, of course, complex on a different scale than, you know, where buttons are going to be and how things are perceived. Mm. Uh, it's going to involve departments. It's going to involve possibly organisations outside of uh, your own working organisation. Um, so um, we need to be thinking about, as I say, what is it around the safety and efficiency uh, of the system that we're trying to improve? Okay. So, look, if we were uh, looking at Um, organising such a system, like a new perioperative care system, clearly there'd be some significant potential challenges. How would having an understanding of human factors and human factors engineering help us address any challenges, do you think? Yeah, well, well, firstly, as you say, uh, around the aims, um, 
to, to actually understand what our aims are. So going back to um, the uh, Institute of, of Healthcare um, Improvement, um, the I, IHI, um, there's uh, this idea of uh, the cost of a system, uh, or, sorry, the, the cost to, of, of delivery of care to, to an individual, uh, the individual's experience of care, and then more broadly, we need to think about population health. So if we can address those three um, aims, call the triple aim, um, uh, that the, the IHI talk about, then uh, we can we can then start to think about how we might gear a system like that. Um, but essentially, um, we need to to be then looking at uh, a model of care delivery uh, and understanding a little bit more about um, how that um, how care is put together. So there are a number of models of care that we can look at. Um, the most cop- uh, I suppose the most popular one in uh, in human factors at the moment is the SEEPS model, uh, which uh, divides things into um, work systems, uh, the processes, and then the outcomes. Um, and that, that helps us understand the context and the goals of the care. Um, so when we look at the work systems, we start to divide it up into the components of the tools, the technology, and the tasks that need to be done. Um, the the organisation uh, of uh, of how we put things together, uh, and then the internal environment. So how we structure our work within our organisation in terms of say things like staffing and and uh, uh, and location, uh, and then the external environment. So we we don't work within a vacuum. We have um, uh, regulatory environments. Uh, we have uh, funding from uh, uh, from organisations external to our environment uh, to our our own organisation, um, and of course, you know, last but not least, the people who are involved, not just the the uh, clinicians, but of course the patients who are involved in the, in the care. And these concepts you're talking about, is that what you mean by macro ergonomics? I know you said ergonomics is not just about chair design. Yeah, that's right. So, so macroergonomics is um, is really ergonomics at a, at an organisational level. So, um, uh, traditionally, we've broken uh, ergonomics uh, or human factors into three different levels. Um, so, macroergonomics looks at how organisations can uh, can can put themselves together um, and uh, and organise themselves to uh, uh, to be most efficient. Um, and then um, the, the kind of traditional ergonomics that we think of, uh, as I say, like the comfy chairs, the devices, uh, how, do we, how does each individual person interact with the devices and the processes uh, in the environment? Um, and then there's uh, also meso-ergonomics, which looks at how groups of people, teams, uh, work systems, um, and uh, and job design happens within those areas as well. Okay, so how could how could you apply those principles to say improving an overall system of care delivery? Uh, well, you, you need to look at each of those uh, different components uh, and how they fit together, um, and uh, and then try to to work out how you can then best optimize it for for the people. So um, it might involve, uh, as I say, rostering. It might involve fatigue management systems. It might involve um, uh, changing changing systems such that it becomes easier to um, uh, to flow through the system for the for the patient to go from one. Uh, aspect to it to the next so for instance with perioperative medicine uh, if we are thinking about redesigning a, a new perioperative uh, model of care we have to think about things in terms of uh, how the patient might navigate through that system 
Um, there are um, some complexities, I suppose, uh, in perioperative medicine because just so many people are involved. Uh, there are a number of specialties involved. The patient may have comorbidities. Um, uh, it, it almost becomes uh, a modular approach for a patient coming coming through the system that they uh, they need to be able to uh, to access specific services that are um, tailored to them. Um, be it uh, prehabilitation or um, uh, post-operative care rehabilitation uh, and, and just to, to be able to understand where they are in that process. To be able to navigate it can be very tricky. Okay, so you're talking about um, patients navigating through the process. And I guess this gets onto the concept of making the process a bit more patient-centred. Mm. I mean, I think that we, we like to think that what we do is patient-centred mm. because we think... There's the patient. Everything yep. we're doing is for the patient, is based around them. Mm. But um, do you think do you think that we could? Do you think there's another way to deliver a more truly patient-centered approach to perioperative care? Well, I mean, it involves um, a truly patient-centered model of care would involve the patient in the design of the of the the care. Um, uh, you know, I've seen systems where um, a, a patient is given five different appointments. Uh, to see uh, to see people preoperatively, yeah. uh, when actually all of those things could be scheduled for the same for the same time. When they're driving, you know, particularly in rural Australia, if they're driving for five hours to get to an appointment, you don't want to be doing that to them five times. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, actually, thinking about what the patient would like. Um, and not just around um, what we think they might like in terms of um, things like that, you know, in, ter- in terms of time, but also. Um, you know how they're supported and and how their um, their, their families are supported through uh, through this time. So um, it's about how you communicate with people, um, how they might feel about particular things, and what supports they might need at the various points. Um, and only really by asking the patients and the, the the relatives and including them in the design of the uh, uh, of the care model, um, and in each and really each individual part of that care model would you uh, be able to understand how to improve it? So how do you do that? At what, at what point you're, you're, are you talking about right from the beginning? Oh, yeah. And, and how would you go about that? Yeah. So um, uh, just talking, getting some, um, some surveys initially from, uh, from people and actually maybe understanding what the problems may be. Um, so um, firstly, just seeking feedback from, from, regular, um, uh, from the regular delivery of care that's happening at the time. Uh, and then uh, getting a few uh, of the the patients together um, uh, and saying, you know, how could we how can we improve it? Uh, what are the what are the points at which you felt stressed? What are the points at which you didn't understand thing, what what things were happening? And almost sort of mapping out a process. Um, and in some some places, they'll uh, they'll draw a timeline of uh, of, of the perioperative care uh, that they receive. Uh, and uh, and get them to map you know how they felt uh, almost like an emotional journey on that and it sounds a, a little bit soft and a little bit crazy that you would actually um, ask people how they felt at, at various points of that but actually you know it's very useful to understand um, what what patients are concerned about and at the end of the day when we're talking about experience of care as I said one of those one of the the three uh, of the triple aims um, it's not just about the, the quality there, it's actually about how the patient is, um, uh, is experiencing it. But I guess too that goes to one of the other triple aims which is about um, saving costs and improving mm. efficiency that it's probably something we don't think of. If you make the 
process more efficient for the patient and therefore um, a less stressful mm. process, inevitably that'll turn around and probably increase efficiency in the whole process and cost savings to the system. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And patients are going to feel calmer uh, when they when they finally come for their operation um, and uh, are going to understand. And you're not going to have as many missed appointments uh, uh, if... Uh, uh, you, you've got patients who are who are failing to to attend for um, multiple appointments. That's surely not an efficient uh, use of the resources either. Okay, so if we if we did set up um, such a process, how how should we go about monitoring improvement? Because I think in perioperative medicine we tend to focus on long term outcomes, which are obviously important. You know, survival rates, um, uh, mortality rates, etc., um, and morbidity. How can we see, though, if we're improving efficiency in the system, where should, where should we be looking to, um, to monitor that progress? Well, again, it's not just looking at the cost, uh, the cost in, in terms of value. It's looking at experience in terms of value. Um, there's very much a push for value-centred care at the moment, um, uh, particularly in places like the US. Um, there's a whole movement around value-centred care um, and uh, actually asking the patients what their experience is of the, of the care that they receive. Um, in terms of cost, well, yes, we, we do have to be, uh, we always have to be mindful of costs. Of course, the, there's opportunity costs. If we are spending money somewhere, then, then uh, elsewhere is not getting the, uh, uh, the money for, for their improvements as well. So um, we have to be thinking about um, uh, what the... Um, what the ultimate savings are, uh, and and proving that we can save save money by these uh, these changes in processes as well. Okay, look. So we've talked about a lot of concepts here, but look, if um, if you were asked to advise someone who wanted to create a new model of delivering mm. perioperative care from scratch, what advice or specific principles would would you give to them that they could use? So, firstly, mapping out the process. Um, and uh, involving uh, consumers, patients early in the process, uh, understanding where the, the the pressure points are in the system, where the um, where the system is failing, um, and talking to the staff, involving the staff very early on uh, in the in the redesign as well. So it really needs to be a conversation. Um, with patients, staff, managers, everybody who's involved in the system about what's feasible uh, and how to improve it. Um, and, and just pushing to, uh, to see uh, where those particular uh, difficulties can be, can be eased. Um, it may be as simple as having you know, more car parking or um, giving people directions to, to the hospital. Um, certainly here at the Alfred, we've, we've spent some, some money recently on uh, wayfinding around the hospital, um, uh, actually recognising that that is uh, a real problem uh, for patients and family. Um, so um, actually uh, j- just ha- trying to have an overall view of the system rather than tackling each individual problem um, as an individual problem because these things are often interlinked uh, and uh, if you try and fix one part of the system you often break another it's interesting isn't it you know that that simple advice of um, helping people find their way around or finding to a clinic making sure that they turn up on time mm. making sure that there's no delays that then flow on to the next patient to the next clinic to to operating lists I think that's you know just a simple thing like that mm. it seems like a, a great place to start 
Do you think that we deliver perioperative care well now or is it time to consider a wholesale reboot or re-engineering of the perioperative journey for patients? Oh, absolutely. I think think we're ready for a reboot. Uh, I I see a lot of fragmented systems of care. Um, uh, As I say, patients turning up for appointments with a surgeon, then appointments with the anaesthetist, then an appointment with a physio, um, and then getting their pathology tests and then the pre-op tests and then coming back for another round with everybody. Um, It's really not patient-centred at the moment. We need to be thinking much more carefully about how we uh, how we deliver care. Um, and uh, as I say, by, by sticking to those principles of um, patient-centred co-design um, with patients and, uh, and with staff, I think we can make a huge difference uh, to, uh, uh, to, to a redesigned service. Excellent, Stuart. There's some, some really good advice there. So, look, thank you very much for your time. Um, and thank you for listening to our podcast. If you're interested in finding out more about Clinical Human Factors, you can visit our website at clinicalhumanfactors.org.au, which has details of our um, Human Factors short course. As I said earlier, that's just commenced this year, but we'll be running again next year. And if you want to know more about perioperative medicine education in general and the courses we offer, such as EMAC, our master's degree, or our perioperative medicine short course, then visit our website at periopmedicine.org.au. Thank you.